Hey, I've had a lot of coffee. I normally drink decaf, but on the mornings that I speak, I just drink caffeine. And so I'm jittery and ready to go. I hope that you are too. Uh, I, thank you, Mr. Godfrey, I uh, want to tell you that Smiley is not here this week. He and Karen are celebrating their 41st anniversary, which is really, really fun. And in our staff meeting this week, he, uh, we asked him, hey, where are you going? And he said, listen, I spoke on Sunday, and I told a story about Jesus, that when Jesus went on vacation, 20,000 people showed up. And so I'm not telling you where I'm going on vacation, which I think is a cover. And so Smiley and Kieran, if you're watching, have a great time in Las Vegas for your 41st <laughs> wedding anniversary. We hope you're having the time of your life. This morning, we are looking at John chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, open it up to John chapter 8. We are so excited that you are here this morning. Last week, we started a new series, and the title of that series is Who Does Jesus Think He Is? Which I think is such a great title. And we're looking together over the course of these next seven weeks or so at the great I Am statements that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, uh, the gospel writer John records as he walks us through the life and ministry of Christ. And so we're looking at these seven I am statements and asking the question, who does Jesus? Now, all of scripture, all of scripture is about Jesus. Let's not get that wrong. But who does Jesus specifically say that he is? And so last week, we started with the first I am statement. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And Smiley reminded us uh, that uh, throughout the world, Bread is not a side dish, it is the main dish. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, what he is saying is, I don't want to be a side dish in your life, I want to be the main dish in your life. And I'm so, so thankful for that. This morning, we're just going to take in chronological order, as we work through these next seven weeks, we're looking at the second I am statement. So if you have a Bible, John chapter 8, and I'm going to pray once more before we jump in. Jesus, you are the light of the world, and everything in scripture and in life points to you. And so we come before you and ask you to send your Holy Spirit to illumine our minds and our hearts, that we might walk out of here knowing more of who you are, worshiping you, being more in love with you. And so propelled into the world to share that message with others. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. John chapter 8. You know, the Bible, the Bible is one story. And this is so, so cool. From cover to cover, it tells one story. And at Good News, we talk a lot about four chapters of Scripture. We talk about the fact that chapter 1 is creation, then we talk about the fall, then we talk about redemption, and we talk about consummation, just a fancy word that Jesus is coming back. And in what we read this morning, we see the one story of all of Scripture played out through what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12. And it's all about light. So the point of today's message is this, that Jesus is the light of the world. And in creation... The story goes that there was darkness, and God spoke. And when he spoke, there was light. And that light produced life, and it was good. 
But then man sinned, and the world was plunged into darkness and death. That's the fall. Jesus then entered into everything that he created. And when he did, he experienced the ultimate darkness as he went to the cross for you and me. So that you and I, who were children of the darkness, could come into the presence of God's unapproachable light. And the last story is that when Jesus comes back, darkness will be no more. There will only be light. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That that is the story. That is his story. Jesus is the light of the world. Let me give you a little context for what Jesus says and when he says it. In John chapter 7, and here's my encouragement, is that this week you would read all of John chapter 8. It's not super long. You can read it in one sitting. But in John chapter 7, John writes chronologically that Jesus is at a festival, specifically this festival of the booths. And every year they had this celebration and it was marked on the Jewish calendar as a way for the Jewish people to remember and celebrate God's provision for the harvest and also to dedicate and set aside time for God to provide again. Specifically, they would ask for God to provide through rain. The rainy season in Israel is from October to March, and so they would show up at the temple and they would pray and ask God the provider to provide rain. And what the priest, what the high priest would do every year is he would go and get water and fill it up in buckets and all the people would line up. And the priest would take the water, walk it from the pool up to the temple, and he would pour it on the altar as a means to ask God for his provision. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that festival, Jesus stands up and says, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, for I am living water. And then the festival ends, and we pick up in John chapter 8. And the beginning of John chapter 8 is a story about a woman. And apparently, religion, ritual, sacrifice is not enough to change your heart. Because the story that we find in John chapter 8 is of a woman caught in adultery. And I don't know why the man isn't talked about in the story, but he's not. But this woman after the festival is over, is dragged to the feet of Jesus. And this is a familiar story because the woman is brought in as a trap to Jesus. And the people say, the teachers of the law and the people who are testing Jesus say, listen, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Scripture says to stone her. But Jesus, what do you say we ought to do? And Jesus... Love what he does here. The woman <clears throat> walks in, and all of a sudden, the spotlight is on her. Jesus, what do you say that we should do? And in John chapter 8, Jesus does something really interesting. 
he stoops down, and it says that he begins to write in the dirt. And the spotlight that is on this woman is all of a sudden drawn from her to him. And he doesn't say what he wrote. He doesn't say if he wrote scripture, if he's just doodling. All of it says is that he writes in the dirt. And the light is taken from her to him. And then he says, whoever is without sin, let you cast the first stone. And the story goes that starting with the oldest people, they dropped their stones and started walking away. And then he says to the woman, woman, do you have no accusers? And she says, no, they've all left. And Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's the story that begins John chapter 8. And then Jesus says this. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the same people get ticked because Jesus is declaring, he says something that just triggers them. And he starts this statement by saying, I am. And so they stop him and they begin to protest and interject. And what happens in John 13 through 28, Jesus says, seven times to them that I have authority from the Father, that I come from the Father, that I am going back to the Father, that I speak on behalf of the Father because, and this is ultimately what got him crucified, I and the Father are one. Seven times in 13 through 28, Jesus would declare that. That's what's happening in the context of this conversation. And so we're going to walk through Jesus' second I am statement together. We're just going to kind of break this up one piece at a time. I am. Jesus is very pointedly declaring that he is God and he is the Messiah. And that's really important because some people, if you get into a discussion with them, said, you know what? Technically, Jesus never really declared that he's God. You can take them to John chapter 8 and give them the entire story of Scripture. Then in the book of Exodus, as Moses uh, is given his commission by the Father to go and proclaim good news to the people, he says, who do I tell them sent me? On whose authority do I declare to people that these are your words, God? And God says to him, you tell them that I am who I am sent you. And so when Jesus says... The words, I am, it's a trigger for the people who are hearing his message. And he makes these statements. And matter of fact, he lays it out so plainly that he and the Father are one, that there is undoubtedly no denying that Jesus is God and Messiah. Look at these two verses. In John 8, 24, he says this. I told you, that you would die in your sins 
For unless you believe that I am, in our English Bibles, they add the word he, just to make it more grammatically correct for the English reader, but in the Greek, there is no he. It says, I am. For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That's the promise of the Old Testament, and Jesus is repeating it in the New Testament. I and the Father are one. I am. And unless you believe in I am, you will die in your sins. Totally triggered this group of Jewish people who are listening to him. So he repeats it. In John 28, the first kind of part of the verse, Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, had been, had been crucified yet, so people are going, what are you talking about? When you lift up the Son of Man. Is he talking about something similar to when the serpent was put on a pole and it was lifted up and all the people who looked at it were healed? What is he talking about when you have lifted up? But he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, here's the promise, then you will know that I am he. Again, he added to our English Bibles. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Undoubtable that Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. And so he starts his statements with the, with the phrase, I am. And then he says, I am the light. And if you read through the Gospel of John, you will see three words repeated over and over again. You'll see the word light, you'll see the word life, and you will see the word truth used interchangeably as John records the things that Jesus says and does. And this is a really, really important term because John will use that to communicate the nature, the very nature of Jesus, that he is light, that he is life, that he is truth. But it also describes Jesus' ministry, that he comes to bring light and life and truth. And it also illustrates what happens to the people who put their faith and trust in Jesus, that they are filled with light and life and truth. And so when Jesus says that I am the light, he wants people to understand two things. Number one, that he is the truth. And it's the kind of truth that you and I can't discover for ourselves. It's a, I can't grasp this truth because the truth, the one who is speaking, is the source of it. It has to be revealed to us. And when it reveals, it brings both hope and terror. So Jesus says, I am the light because I want you to know that I am the source of truth and there is no other source. But he also wants his hearers to understand that he is holiness. Throughout scripture, we see the words holy, holy, holy repeated. Perfect purity. So Jesus says, I am the light. I am truth and I am holiness. It's summarized um, perfectly in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is, again, 
Same John who wrote the gospel is now writing three different letters found later on in the New Testament. And this is what he writes to the readers of his first letter. This is the message that you have heard from that excuse me. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you. I'm not making this up. I heard it from Jesus himself. And now I've been commissioned and given responsibility to just pass that message on to you. That God is light. God is truth. God is life. God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. John is communicating to his readers when Jesus says, I am the light, that Jesus is truth and holiness personified. So that when you and I look at Jesus in Scripture, we can both know what God is like and experience light and life and truth. And when we do that, two things happen. We recognize how intimidating Jesus is because he is holiness personified. We look at Jesus and we worship in awe because he is truth and holiness. And that makes us attracted to Jesus because you and I were made for light and life and truth. But it's also scary because when we look at Jesus, we see goodness as goodness was meant to be. And when you see goodness and are confronted with that, the only option that we have is to look at ourselves and say, I am nothing like that. That when Jesus says, I am the light, he's revealing the nature and character of God, but he's also revealing the ugliness and reality of sin in our lives. I am the light. Okay, we're going to take a little quiz this morning. Uh, I have three boys. My wife homeschools them, and when they have quizzes, they get super nervous because, let's be honest, like grades count and all those kinds of things, but this is not one of those quizzes, so don't panic because you're going to nail this. It's three questions, and what I need you to do is I need you to respond as a group. Following me so far? Yes, Kristen, we like this. You're excited. You like quizzes, don't you? You were that, sitting on the front row, sitting on the front row. Yes, you are that person. Okay. <clears throat> on the count of three, I want you to tell me together what kind of fruit this is. Just one word. No, nope. no, you're not paying attention. I said on the count of three. You've already failed the quiz. <laughs> on the count of three, tell me what kind of fruit this is. One, two, three. Okay, here's your second question. On the count of three, tell me what color this is. One, two, three. Orange. Last question. Don't overthink this. On the count of three, tell me what color this is when it's completely dark. One, two, three. Orange. You're wrong. Anybody say black? Oh my gosh. I learned this this week that, and I'll tell you why, the answer is black. But who, who got this right? 
So I have candy. I have candy for you. It's a box of nerds, because that's what you are. <clears throat> oh, oh gosh. Let's try that again. Anybody else get this right? Right here. Oh gosh, here we go. Mike, help. Oh, good catch. I got one more. All the way in the back. Shepard, a little help. Okay. I did not know. I did not know. This is what I learned this week. That when all the lights go out, an orange actually is an orange. Because color is not radiated from the orange. Color is produced by light. And so when the light, which has the purity, hits an object, our eyes see that as a particular color. Certain colors are absorbed by this, and certain colors are reflected by this. But the only time an orange is an orange is when the light hits it. As Jesus says, I am the light. What he is saying is, I don't reflect the light. It radiates from me. And so when you think about the story when Jesus goes up on the mountain with his three friends and disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he is transfigured before them. And Moses is there, and Elijah is there, and these three guys see Jesus in all of his glory. Light radiates from him. He is truth, he is life, he is light. And so when John writes in chapter 1 that we have beheld his glory, he's not talking about a reflected glory. He is talking about the source of light. Last phrase. I am the light of the world. What are we talking about when Jesus says, I am the light of the world? Of the world. Well, I'll tell you one thing that he's not talking about. When Jesus shows up, it does not mean that as he walks through life, darkness is completely removed. Yet. That as the light of life put on flesh came to earth, that darkness isn't removed yet. That's also part of the story. So, what is light of the world mean? When Jesus says, I am light, he's communicating a few things. The first is he's communicating that there is no other light. There is light and darkness when it comes to this world. There is no third option or alternative. I am the light of the world. There is no other option. And so that means that every person who lives now and will live in the future needs Jesus. That he is the light, the source of life and truth. But it also means that this world was made for the light. Because the one who is light and life and truth created it. It is not a foreign light. It is a native light. The owner of the world is light. 
So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he is saying that all of this belongs to me. And finally, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's making a promise that one day, one day, darkness will be cast out. All darkness, all deeds of darkness, all sons and daughters of darkness will be cast out. You know how Jesus describes hell throughout the Gospel of Matthew? He describes hell as utter darkness. So all these stories, like the weird ones about virgins looking for the bridegroom and being cast into utter darkness, all of that is used to describe hell. Because hell is the absence of light and life and truth. And the good news is that one day, all of that will be removed. Did you know that Revelation describes this new heaven and new earth that Je when Jesus comes back, that, he, that, that it says there will be no sun, like S-U-N? We don't need it anymore because the S-O-N will fill up the world with his life. I am the light of the world. Which brings us to our action step. And our action step for this week is really simple. Can you guess it, Kristen? No? Okay. Sorry, another pop quiz. Orange is not the correct answer, but good try. Our action step, our action step is to walk in light. And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And then he says this. He makes a promise. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's two twin promises in his statement. First promise is that those who follow Jesus will not walk in darkness. And the second is they will have the light of life. So what does it look like to walk in the light? I think Jesus lays it out very clearly right here. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So how do we follow Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that in order to follow Jesus, it starts by believing. I want to read you I want to read you John chapter 3, verse 19, because this verse has both good news and bad news to it. It says this. This is Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, by the way, as he's talking to Nicodemus about the importance and necessity for being born again. He says this at the end of this conversation. He says, light, light has come into the world. But men loved the darkness because their works were evil. And that's the reality that over and over in Scripture, Scripture does not describe us as good or bad people. Scripture describes us as dead people because of the evilness of both our hearts and our works. That men, you and I, 
have loved the darkness and everything it brings with us more than we love the light. You know what the consequence, you know what the consequence of refusing the light is when Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life? The consequence of refusing the light is darkness. Permanent darkness. Outside of the light, darkness. That's the bad news of the gospel. That you and I, because of what we've thought and said and done, and because it lives within us, what we deserve is death. We love darkness. But there's also good news. John chapter 3, it says, light has come into the world. That those four chapters of the one story of Scripture, that man sinned and the world was plunged into darkness. That Jesus, because he is light and life and truth, could not stand to see his creation apart from him. And so the only one, matter of fact, the one who spoke all things into being, came down as a man to do something about the darkness. And while he was here, he was perpetual purity, holiness, truth, light, and life in every sense of the word. And because of that, he was the only sacrifice acceptable to God. And so he climbed on a cross and on our behalf experienced utter darkness. 2 Corinthians 5 says that Jesus actually became sin. That he took all of the darkness. That all of that was laid on him. And he died the death that you and I deserve. And what's our part? Our part is to receive the light. To receive life. To believe the truth. It's a, it takes a willingness to admit that we are children of darkness. And that's really, really hard to do. But look at the evidence of your life. If there's any darkness in it, just a smidge of darkness in it, then what we deserve is death. And so when we say, Jesus, you are the light, we are proclaiming that we need him. You know, I read something this week, and I really, I really liked it. The only need that you and I have are the only part of our salvation that is needed from you and I is to recognize our need for the light. But that's our part. We recognize and we admit that we are children of darkness and we need the light. And so we turn to Jesus and we admit that. And then we transfer our trust from trying to fix all of that darkness ourselves into Jesus and say, I'm going to choose to believe and trust that your light is enough for me. 
And then we're not only saved from something, we're also saved for someone and for something. And so part of transferring our trust to Jesus is recognizing that Jesus spoke everything into being. That he is creator and owner of everything, and that includes me. And so when we believe in Christ, what we are saying is, Jesus, I'm a child of darkness. You're light. I want you to come and fill me with your light, with your Holy Spirit. And I want to live as I was created to live. You have shown me what goodness looks like. You've also given me your Holy Spirit and enabled me to do good works. I want you and I want what, was, what I was originally created for. Have you believed? Have you seen the light? If you're here today and, and you've never put your trust in Jesus, won't you do that now? It, it really is as simple as admitting that you are a child of darkness and believing that Jesus is light and committing yourself to live within that light now and for all eternity. Step one in following Jesus starts by believing in him. But it also includes, following Jesus also includes obeying Jesus. And the same process, the same process that when we come to faith in Christ is true for those who follow Jesus. Because here's the thing about light and life and truth. It reveals our ugliness and our sinfulness. And as we follow Jesus and we stay close to the light and we read his word and when we're in community with other people, one of the things that happens is that we are encouraged by who he is. I know the light. We are in awe and worship of the light. And at the same time, the light illuminates everything dark about our lives. That that's one of the natural things that happens when we follow the light. And that is a great thing. Wouldn't you rather have your sinfulness exposed in this life rather than in the life to come? You know, um, we've got a dog, and she is a total disaster, but we love her. And she has to go out at night, you know, around 9 o'clock, and so we have a sliding glass door that leads out to our back porch. And without a doubt, um, when we let this dog out to go to the bathroom at, at night, there are moths that are just plinging themselves up against our door. Just, I mean, you can hear them, ding, 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 as they fly, because it's dark outside and it's light inside our house. And so when we open that door to let the dog out, guess what happens? Those dang moths get in our, I'm serious, we find them all over the place. They just come in, and apparently they just like to die all over our computer and all over our sheets. 
and all over, everywhere, these moths come in because, you know why? Moths love the light. And when a moth recognizes that it's in darkness and there's a different option that they can go into the light, guess what they choose? They choose the light. And the same is true for those who follow Jesus. That when you recognize that when you are in darkness, even when you have faith in Christ, part of following Jesus is choosing the light. And that's what reading God's word throughout the week does for us. It's also why God put us in community with one another. And to be honest, I don't know, I don't know how as a follower of Christ, you don't do life with other followers of Christ. It, it's, it's unnatural. It's not what you were created for. And this is not a guilt trip. This is just a recognition that I had this week because when we read God's word and when we rub shoulder to shoulder with other people, we are reminded to stay in the light. And so if you showed up this morning and there is darkness in your life like there is in mine, my encouragement to you as a follower of Jesus is to look at God's word and to get with, on a regular basis, other believers who will bring you and point you and remind you to come out of darkness and remain where you were created to be, which is in the light. If you need help finding a group of people who can help you do that, I would love to help you find that group of people. The last thing that comes to mind about following Jesus is we need to believe, we need to obey, and we, you and I were also created to share. Uh, I was in a meeting uh, this week and, and a friend shared a story of, uh, of helping a guy, and, and you're gonna hear more in detail uh, about this later, about a guy caught in a rainstorm. An older gentleman who did not have the ability to get back to safety on his own. And so, this friend did everything necessary to get this older gentleman back to his house safely. And when he got into his house, you know what the guy asked him? Why would you do this? And my friend's response was, because someone rescued me once too. And because of that, it gave him an opportunity to share the gospel. And he walked through the four chapters of the one story of the Bible. That we were created for light. That we chose sin and were plunged into darkness. That Jesus became darkness so that we could have light. And that he's coming back. And when he does, there will be no more darkness. There will just be light. You know what happened in that guy's life? The light shined in the darkness. And so he, along with two other people, saw the light this week. And it reminded me of the verse that was printed on the back of our t-shirts when I was in high school from our youth group. And I want to read this to you, and then we'll be close, be done. 
This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16. It says this, You are the light of the world. Not the flashlight. You're the orange. And when the light shines on you, just like it shines on an orange, an orange is an orange. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Whoever follows me and will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. We believe, we obey, and in our obedience... People say, why would you do that? And when they do, we share the truth of the light that produces life with them. That's the purpose of our good works. But how, at the end of this verse, how is someone going to give glory to the Heavenly Father if, in the midst of those things, we don't share with them verbally who the Father is. John eight twelve. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are light and life and truth. And Lord, we confess that we are children of darkness and in need of light. Jesus, we, we want to follow you. And so would you empower us, enable us, as scripture has declared, to experience and live within that life. Help us to believe Help us to obey and help us to share that light with others. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.